Hello and welcome to Legal Thinking. I am Liam Pape. In today's episode, we speak about protection of confidential information, and we talk about that with Caroline Duran Millet and Juliet Sanderson Neal, both of whom are solicitors in IWK Goodman's employment team. We speak about the differences between fiduciary and implied duties, practical steps to protect confidential information, and the difference between exactly what confidential information and trade secrets are. So without any further ado, let's roll tape. So thank you both for joining me. Um, Can you start off by explaining the difference between fiduciary duties and implied duties of confidentiality during employment? Caroline, do you want to pick this one up? Oh, thanks, Liam. Um, Yes, this is an interesting one. So every single employee has implied duties in their contracts, even if they haven't signed a contract. So there are implied duties for every single employee in the UK, regardless of how senior or otherwise they are. And that includes implied duties of trust and confidence, Um, which is a mutual duty, and also a duty of confidentiality, uh, which is a duty to respect the confidentiality of the employer's commercial and business information. Now, what's particularly interesting in that is that it only applies during the employment relationship. So, sometimes we have employers uh, who, for one reason or the other, haven't asked a member of staff to sign a contract or, more likely, they cannot find the contract. Uh, So, there is a benefit that there is this implied duties concept that exists. Um, So, the implied duty is only going to protect certain types of confidential information. That's um, information which is obviously confidential uh, or it has been protected as confidential, it's been marked private and confidential not to be circulated during the employment contract. So, there are some benefits um, and protections for employers in relation to their some confidentiality for all employees during the employment relationship. There's also a, a different concept, which is fiduciary duties. Now, um, a fiduciary is a, it's a very high standard of a duty, which only a applies to somebody who is very senior. Uh, So, some very senior employees would be considered to be fiduciaries or more commonly, company directors would be considered to be fiduciaries. An employee who's a fiduciary duty is expected to act in the best interest of the company. Uh, They have undivided loyalty to the company or they are expected to meet that threshold. Um, And at the heart of that is that they are... um, they must not pursue their own self-interest and they must not benefit from the company's property, including the company's information. So, if somebody is a fiduciary, like a company director, or we would argue if we were at acting on behalf of a company, uh, that very senior employees who have financial information uh, or in a sort of a a very 
high position within the company that they are also um, so senior they are equivalent fiduciaries and that they must act with these obligations and these high thresholds of duties. It's a high bar to pass, but it can be a very useful argument because the courts will have high expectations as to how those individuals treat confidential information and use it during and also after their employment. And how can employers ensure that their employees understand the importance of confidentiality during their employment? Juliet, would you like to pick this one up? Sure. So, um, employers should really be thinking about taking practical steps um, to put employees on notice that certain information is considered confidential and commercially sensitive. Um, Steps that, that could be taken are, for instance, circulating certain key information to only limited numbers of employees, uh, marking sensitive information as being confidential, um, using different coloured paper for documents with different degrees of confidentiality, um, circulating information in files, envelopes or emails marked specifically confidential. That's quite common these days, seeing as everything's done by email Um and if it's practical, um, if you're thinking about operating security measures for some databases, that could be useful. Um, or if the information is stored manually, then you could put it in a cupboard and a filing cabinet. Um, but password protection is always key um, when you're using databases. Um, Employers should be regularly monitoring the use of emails, photocopiers, and similar devices. From a GDPR perspective, it may also be necessary to implement a proper monitoring procedure, so to ensure that employees' rights in relation to their personal data are respected. Um, also, employers should um, ensure that there is a proper reporting procedure. It seems obvious, um, but employers should know exactly what their staff are doing and how they're handling confidential and sensitive information. Um, and finally, uh, there could be um, a use of confidential uh, confidentiality agreements. Um, these are commonly referred to as NDAs, but um, solicitors should probably be involved in this process to ensure um, that they're correctly drafted and not misused in any way. And I think you've touched upon some of them there, but what are some of the practical steps that an employer can take to protect confidential information in advance? So in, in relation to that, Lame, um, uh, Juliet has numbered really useful practical points that employers need to think about. Usually, um, as, a, as a business owner, we can be so busy uh, with the day-to-day -day business of uh, keeping clients happy and providing the goods and services that we don't think about what could happen if things go wrong uh, or if there's an issue with an employee who wants to leave and set up in competition. Um, from my perspective, um, there are some particular uh, times in the employment cycle which are dangerous, um, such as if there are a sort of redundancy or restructuring discussions, or once somebody has put in their notice of resignation. These are usually periods when we need to be uh, particularly careful with members of staff in terms of what they're accessing um, and to monitor this. 
I'm also a firm believer in prevention rather than cure. So quite often a, a, a polite reminder to staff, perhaps once they have resigned or during any consultation periods, that they, they remain an employee, uh, that we expect them to comply with all of their duties in terms of in relation to confidential information uh, and if they've got any questions to speak to a line ma manager or a member of staff. Um, I do see usually it is when somebody has resigned, usually they have made preparations in advance. The Usually the, the the, the mining of somebody's confidential information has happened weeks or perhaps months in advance of that resignation. So sometimes it's a, a matter of going back to double check what has been accessed, uh, downloaded, printed. And even though it's very rare, it still does happen that people still send information to their uh, personal accounts or set up email accounts which look very similar to a client's account uh, email address, but maybe has a couple of uh, letters uh, which is different. So, it's more difficult for IT to spot that information is being sent backwards and forwards, um, which isn't the proper domain. Um, we also are seeing that particularly with hybrid working, it's so much easier for um, employees at home to access the information and perhaps not appreciate that their uh, their access of the company systems is being monitored in the normal way, even though they're not working from the usual office. Um, so there's these things that need to be considered in terms of what we're going to do because the, the working environment has changed for a lot of us uh, over the last couple of years, even though the, the danger scenarios and the, the pressure points in terms of resignations, redundancies, somebody issuing a grievance or a disciplinary, they might be scenarios when somebody is more likely to be concerned about their future or perhaps disgruntled. And what's the difference between confidential information and trade secrets? Uh, so, confidential information um, and trade secrets, usually a company or an employer will think that these are one and the same. However, the courts have a very different interpretation. So, a trade secret is the gold standard for an employer. Uh, you get the best protection for your information if you can show it really is a trade secret, as something uh, top top secret, confidential, you've protected it, uh, you know, it's, it's a high bar. It's something like the secret recipe uh, for Coca-Cola. Uh, it's things like a, a secret process of manufacturing something, a chemical formula, secret designs or special methods of construction, um, or other information which is protected by, um, with a su sufficiently high degree of confidentiality to amount to a trade secret. So, this is a high bar for employers to reach. Confidential information has been described by the courts as merely confidential information, mere confidential information. This is something which is commercially sensitive, that it might be sales or client information, which there is a risk 
to a company that the individuals leaving employment still could use that information, even though it's mere confidential information, if there's not any contract uh, of employment protecting that, uh, or if the person is a fiduciary. Uh, the types of things which can be mere confidential information and protected depending on where it falls in the employment cycle and whether or not there's contracts, etc., cetera, um, would include things like source codes, customer lists and client information, financial information and business plans, research and development, those kind of things. Um, so, this these type of mere confidential information may only be used by the employee during employment for the benefit of the employer. And then, if it is inevitably carried away in the employee's head after the employment has been has ended, then it can be used by the individual. If it is something which um, I I leave an employment and I carry away that the the name of uh, our main client or customer that potentially could be used. Um, the courts have said that deliberately memorizing this kind of information is the same as photocopying it. So, we've seen people uh, deliberately trying to uh, memorize information and pass it off as something which uh, they just happen to have in their head. Um, but uh, you couldn't take a client list with you uh, and say, well, actually, I've stolen a hundred clients in this list. I've taken this away, but I would have remembered 10 of them in any event. Uh, the courts uh, will not like that approach and say, well, uh, you can't, you've stolen this document uh, from your employer. You can't use any of the information, even if it happens to be in your head, because we don't actually know what is in your head and what you have taken uh, unlawfully from your employer. Indeed. How can employers you uh, sorry, how can an employer enforce restrictive covenants uh, to protect their confidential information? Uh, yeah, so there are uh, different types of post-termination restrictive covenants. Um, an employer can utilize non-compete restrictive covenants, which essentially means that the employee is for specific amount of time uh, prohibited from working for competitors. Um, these can be useful, but they must be designed to protect the employer's confidential information, trade secrets, or customer connections. Um, so, essentially preventing the employee from obtaining an unfair advantage by exploiting these for their own or another employer's benefit. Um, restrictive covenants having the sole aim of preventing competition are never upheld by the court, however. Um, so, I would say that non-solicitation clauses, such as non-solicitation of clients or key employees, um, are therefore looked on more favorably than uh, pure non-competition clauses. And they can be enforced um, in the High Court if there's a breach of the restrictive covenant. What are the potential consequences for an employee who breaches their duties of confidentiality during or after their employment? Um, an employer has more options if they discover the breach while the person is still employed. Uh, so, it's much better for an employer if they take proactive steps to ensure that they monitor access and use uh, while people are employed um, because this they have 
greater number of options and remedies available to them. So, if it happens during employment, an employer can uh, discipline and dismiss for gross misconduct uh, if there's evidence that somebody has unlawfully downloaded client or customer information, for example, uh, for a use other than during their employment. There might also be uh, financial penalties that could be imposed, uh, such as if it was gross misconduct, the individual might not get their notice, uh, they may not get their bonuses, um, or potentially you could even claw back certain bonuses and awards and options depending on what is in their contract, uh, and there might be other bad lever clauses. Also, if they are dismissed for gross misconduct, that's something that that could be um, included in their reference. And also, if the person is regulated, uh, that's something you could potentially n- notify the regulator uh, that the person has done something dishonest. Um, those are all very useful tools in our armory. If it is discovered after they have left employment, um, the options are as follows. And we, if somebody as an employee, we can also use these as um, sanctions and remedies as well as the employment consequences. So, uh, the, the sort of entry level, if you do discover a potential breach, would be to obtain a contractual undertaking from the employee. This is a promise that they're going to comply with their contractual obligations. Um, also, potentially, as a uh, employer, you could seek uh, undertakings, contractual undertakings from the new employer uh, that the individual is going to move to. Uh, that can be quite useful to notify what kind of person that they are dealing with, somebody who might be as interested in stealing their confidential information in, in future. So, these are the most basic form of protection uh, after a suspected breach. Um, They are a line in the sand and it's a sign if the individual is refusing to sign a mere contractual obligation that they intend to comply with their contractual obligations to you, that the person has bad faith or is going to be a bad operator. So, that that can be quite useful uh, and the courts can look more favourably on an employer who is at least trying to get this resolved amicably and asked for the contractual obligations. The next level of protection, if you have started legal proceedings for a court order restricting the use of your own confidential information by a third party, is to ask for an undertaking to the court. Now, these uh, are much more interesting because a breach of these kind of promises is contempt of court. Uh, and potentially it could be pr- punishable by imprisonment. So, usually individuals take these types of undertakings or promises to the court much more seriously. And these can be a, a very useful tool to scare the other side into complying with their obligations. Uh, and if you're happy with the levels of undertakings, it might mean that you don't have to go and take further steps and don't have to spend further time time or effort um, in proceeding with court proceedings. Um, The other steps that you can do is you can look for damages 
So the employer can look for contractual damages for the losses. So you would, the starting point would be that the, uh, the ex-employer would have to demonstrate to the court it has suffered financial loss and that this loss is a result of those specific breaches. Uh, the issue that we sometimes find with damages is that the employee said, well, these clients would have left anyway. Um, even if I had not stolen this confidential information, I know that this particular client was unhappy uh, with the company and was thinking about moving in any event. Um, and we would have to show that the specific breach, the, the stealing the confidential information, is a reason for that loss. So damages is a useful way of getting a, a financial payment compensation for the breaches, but there are challenges with that. Um, other sanctions that you can look at is to obtain an injunction. So you would go to court um, and look for an injunction against the employee uh, to either enforce particular restrictive covenants, like the restrictive covenants Juliet has talked about, uh, or to prevent the specific use of confidential information. You would say, I know they have downloaded and accessed our client information. I want an injunction to make sure that they are not going to use that in their new business, which they've set up, or for their new employer. Um, an injunction is only ever going to be granted if the court is satisfied that financial damages just aren't going to be enough. If the court understands that by the time the individuals have contacted everybody else on that client list, which has been unlawfully downloaded, the employer is not going to have a business left. It's just good. Too much damage will have been done. Uh, so, an interim injunction. Uh, might be granted in those kind of situations. It's um, a, a holding measure, something, uh, a temporary fix until we can get to trial to try to resolve the matter. Now, the issue is that even at the speediest court proceedings can take weeks, sometimes even months to get to trial. Um, so, that's why it's very important to look at these sort of other kind of tools um, and as well as a, an ordinary interim injunction, sometimes it's appropriate to go for what we call a springboard injunction. Um, this can be granted if the employees have actually used the employer's confidential information for their own advantage, such as they've already downloaded and contacted dozens of clients, uh, and they've gained a head start in competition with their former employer. They've done uh, an unlawful act and they've, sp they've spring forward ahead uh, and they're getting uh, a benefit that they shouldn't be doing. And the courts don't like that. Now, this is a, an equitable remedy. So, the courts will be looking at whether you have clean hands as well as the employer in relation to this. Um, also, another equitable remedy is an account of profits. This is an alternative to contractual damages. Uh, and the benefit of this is that it focuses on the ex-employee's profits, all the money that they are getting, uh, rather than an ex-employer's losses. Um, so, for example, the ex-employee's gains might be much greater uh, than the company's losses. Um, now, I'm 
that can only be used if there's a breach of fiduciary duties, the fiduciary duty uh, generally or the duty of confidence. It's not just a breach of your employment contract. It's not just a breach of your restrictive covenants or your confidentiality clause. It's a much higher threshold to get those. But when you can get an account of profit, if somebody is very senior or a company director, it can be very interesting. Uh, and again, when one goes to equity, you have to come with clean hands. So the employer, if you if you were going to go after an account of profits, you would have to make sure that you used um, sort of honourable ways of pursuing the litigation, uh, and that you complied with all court directives directions. Um, so it's to m make sure that if you're going for an equitable relief, a very powerful tool like this, that you are coming to the courts and you have also done the right thing and have clean hands. Can you explain the concept of repudiatory breach by an employer and how it relates to confidentiality in employment contracts? Sure. So, a repudiatory breach by an employer can take the form of either reducing an employee's pay or not paying them at all, um, demoting an employee without fair warning or reason, um, making unreasonable changes to an employee's working hours, or even um, a, play, a change in the place of work. Um, in a constructive unfair dismissal situation, the employee essentially resigns in response to the employer's repudiatory breach of their employment contract, um, and the employee is entitled to treat themselves as dismissed as a consequence. Um, and then, essentially, all of the contractual obligations under the employee's employment contract um, essentially fall away. Um, then the effect of this is that an employer cannot force any of the post-termination restrictions contained in the employee's contract of employment against the former employee um, and any other terms that are intended to survive termination essentially can't survive termination. Um, so it's really important um, that employers tread carefully um, and don't unwittingly commit a repudiatory breach of an employee's employment contract because essentially it means that they're going to have a real difficulty um, in protecting their confidential information um, post-termination of that employee's employment. And finally, are there any business implications for an employer who fails to protect their confidential information? Uh, yes, Liam, that's a, an interesting question. Um, the issue that we can sometimes see with companies that come to us is that they haven't taken steps to put in um, contracts of employment or they haven't put in any of the protect protective measures, which Juliet has mentioned, to highlight what is confidential, what information do they want to uh, protect from the outside world and protect from their competitors. In those kind of situations, it's, it can be very difficult um, to protect the use of confidential information uh, by individuals after they leave employment. So, while employees can be your greatest assets, sometimes they can be your biggest risk. 
Um, it's a, we often ask em- employers to sort of imagine if your best salespeople or technical staff or innovators left to set up uh, to set up a, a new business and competition or to go to your biggest competitor. Imagine what damage they could do if you haven't take steps in advance to ensure that your confidential information and trade secrets are protected when they leave. Um, the business needs to consider in advance what they actually consider is confidential and information. Uh, confidential information and trade secrets, what information they want to protect and ensure that other people cannot obtain the benefit of. Because quite often, this confidential information, if it's a, a formula or a process or client lists, these are things which have taken you know, years or even decades to perfect. Uh, and you don't want to just give that to an employee and allow them to take that to a new employer and obtain the benefit of them. So, from our perspective, uh, there can be a, a huge amount of damage done by departing employees who take confidential information. If employers haven't set up the right systems to make sure that employees know that this is confidential, that it's not meant to be supplied with the outside world or to new employers, uh, and also set up that the contractual regime. Just make sure that it's clear in the contract um, that that's they have the contract signed and kept. So it's there is a clear regime for dealing with these matters if the employee decides to leave in the future that it's very clear there's a line in the sand as to who owns what. And as an employer, you can say, this is my information. The confidential information is as much our property as our laptops or mobile phones or other devices. This is our confidential information and you have to return it and you cannot use it after you leave. Caroline and Juliet, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to Legal Thinking and thank you to our guests um, for joining us on today's podcast. Uh, If you want to find out more about the topic that was discussed today, make sure to have a look in the show notes where we'll have linked everything up. And you can find all of the back episodes of Legal Thinking in your podcast provider of choice and you can also subscribe and follow us on there too. And as always, make sure you leave us a five-star review on a podcast provider of choice as that helps other people find us. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.